I'm sure many of you are maybe getting exhausted with some of these little insights into Luke chapter 15, but we're nearly there. This is our penultimate one uh, this evening in the Sunday supplements as we think about lost. Last week we thought about the elder brother's almost thermonuclear reaction to the fact that the younger brother had come home and the party that the father had laid on. How's the father now going to respond to the elder brother's tantrum? Will he slap him? Will he order him that he must come in? Will he frog march him into the party and say, listen, my boy, you will do what I say so long as you live under my roof. But that's not his style. Instead, he boils the whole thing down to one single important word. The word son. Son. You could translate a child. If the older brother could only grasp this in Luke 15, this little word would change everything. Son. Look at Luke 15, 31, 32. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you see the father's heart in all of this? The sinner comes home and he can't help celebrating. Now think of the older brother's heart. The sinner comes home and he can't help seething. He's raging. The difference between the father and the elder son is so striking, isn't it? Most people only notice the difference between the older son and the younger son. Obviously the older son is different to his brother, but he's nothing like his dad either, is he? There's nothing there that reflects the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the welcome that the father has already shown. He is very far from the father's heart. He is utterly lost. He insists on being too good to go in and sit in that feast with him. Yet in so doing he proclaims himself too good to go and sit with his father. He will not draw his chair up close to sinners. Therefore he despises the one who welcomes sinners. There's so much in this for those of us who have been Christians for years. Do we despise pulling up the chair alongside sinners? Think about that. Ask yourself that question. And how do we welcome those who are so different from us? So the father makes his final plea. And before we hear the response, Jesus ends the story. It's like a cliffhanger. It's like, you know, in a question of sport where they play a little clip of the action and then the pause happens and Sue Barker asks the team captains, Matt Dawson and Phil Tufnell, well, what do you think happens next? Well, what do you think happens next? You see, the story ends at this point in Luke 15. Jesus has left us hanging on for the answer. It's a cliffhanger. The parable ends there. But the story in Luke is not finished. Remember what the parable is portraying? The younger son represents the sinners and the tax collectors who we read about in verses 1 and 2. Whereas the older son represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that Jesus represents to them who welcomes sinners and eats with them. And they are accusing him in verses 1 and 2. So in a sense we know exactly what the older brother does in the end. The story is not finished. Because we know what the Pharisees did in the rest of Luke's gospel. 
Allow me to write the parable's ending according to how the events unfold in Luke. Let me share from you from Glenn Scrivener's book, Reading Between the Lines. He writes, The father entreats his older son with open arms. The older son in blind fury picks up his shovel and bashes his father to death. And that's what happens in the gospel. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law hated the grace of Jesus so much they conspired to kill him. That is where the older brother living takes us. It forces us to hate the gracious, forgiving Jesus. And yet it's the death of Jesus that would welcome home older brothers. Think of the cross. They're the one who welcomes sinners, opened his arms. He didn't just give his best robe, but he was stripped naked. He didn't just associate with sinners, but he became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He didn't just sacrifice the fatted calf, he sacrificed himself. He didn't just come out of his house to plead with sinners, he was shut out of heaven as darkness fell on sin. And yet he did it for you. He was stripped so that we might be robed. He was made sin so that we might be made righteous. He was torn apart like bread so that we could share in his feast. And so what is our response? Are we sinners lost in the far country groaning for freedom? Or are we slaves lost in the field going for respect? Or are we reconciled children who once were lost but are now found? Would it not be ashamed? Would it not be a shame if we were those a little bit like the elder brother who were so near to the father's house but so far? Let me leave you a poem again written by Glenn Scrivener. Sinners run hard from a heavenly slave driver. Slaves run hard for a heavenly slave driver. But sons run happily towards a heavenly father. Sinners are strangers to God in the far country. Slaves are strangers to God in their own field. But sons are sinners in the father's arms. Sinners seek freedom yet find deeper slavery. Slaves seek righteousness yet find deeper sin. Sons seek Christ and find both freedom and righteousness. Sinners are wretched in their rebellion. Slaves are wretched as they show off their own righteousness. Sons are wretched wrapped in his robes. Sinners are lost trying to find an escape. Slaves are lost trying to find self-esteem. But sons are the lost found by Jesus.